if I'm honest tonight, we sang that first song, Some Sweet Day, and I found my heart just longing for that day. And then the second song talked about trials and circumstances that we face here. And again, I found my heart just affected. I guess I would just say I'm a bit tired or a bit, I'm not sure what the word is. Uh, Sometimes preachers don't really feel like preaching. (laughs) And uh, maybe sometimes we feel more dependent on the Lord because of circumstances and situations. So I just ask that you pray that God will give me the grace and the strength to be able to finish up well here this week. And um, pray for us also. The, the Part of the difficulty of the schedule is that we're planning to leave for Thailand on Wednesday, and it seems like still some loose ends. And I thought about requesting to end here Saturday night. That's tonight. <laughs> And uh, I just couldn't do that. And I really don't want to do that. So, uh, but just pray. There's just a lot of things that need to come together before Wednesday uh, afternoon when we fly to Thailand. And I also would just say, uh, pray for us as we go. um, That we'll be able to be a blessing both to our daughter and her family, but also to the students that are there in Thailand. So again tonight in preparation, let's sing the first two songs of Come Gracious Spirit, Heavenly Dove. Come Gracious Spirit, Heavenly Dove, with light and comfort from above, be thou our guardian, thou our guide, for every thought and step reside, for every thought and step reside. The light of truth to us display and make us know and choose thy call out to you and ask that you would be present to give direction and to give your grace to each one that's here. Help us to receive that which you have for us in the message this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Philippians, the first chapter for a message this evening. And our text is found in verse 12 of chapter 1, 
where you read these words. Paul speaking from prison, but I would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. The ESV says it like this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I have a question for us to consider tonight. What do you do with the things that have happened to you? What do you do with the things that have happened to you? Think back over your life. Maybe that are happening right now. What do you do with the things that have happened to you? Things not planned. Things that maybe you never anticipated. Things that you never asked for. Things that you don't deserve. Things that are hard to understand and accept. As young people, we have dreams. We have ideals. We have goals for life. And they are all good. But for some of us, God takes us through situations and experiences that we would never have asked for or never have wanted to go through. Some of you may be carrying crosses tonight that others know very little about. Situations in your life. Can we realize this evening that our response to those things our attitude in those things, our actions resulting from those things that have happened to us, says a great deal about your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. Right now I'm thinking of the Sunday night up at Sterling Lake, the evening service. I was busy talking to some of the students with plans. And Don Showalter, our principal, came to me and said, Dave, I'd like you to come down to my office. And the office for the school was in the first floor of where we had our chapel. And I thought it was rather strange that he would want me to come down and I got down into his office. He said, I want you to sit down. And then he said to me, he said, you'll be going home a lot sooner than what you planned. Your two brothers have been killed in a car accident. And your mom and dad are in serious condition. And in a moment, your world is turned completely upside down. You know, I recall the funeral 
one of my uncles was just really, I, I would say he was almost angry at what had happened. And he said to me, he said, it is just not fair. And I remember standing there feeling a little bit amazed because he was struggling with what God was giving us grace as a family to go through. I asked the question tonight, what do you do with life? What do you do with the events of life? What do you do with the circumstances? What do you do with the things that happen that should never happen, or at least in our minds? They should not happen. Well, just consider the Apostle Paul a bit tonight. He was unjustly accused. He's arrested and he's in prison for no real crime. He was shipwrecked on his journey to Rome. He's in bonds and shackles awaiting trial. What do you see in his attitude and his response? You know, some time ago I was reading in the Old Testament and I was reading about the children of Israel the story of the 12 spies. Something caught my attention this time. The job description they were given by Moses was this. They were to go view the land. They were to evaluate the inhabitants of the land. Are they strong or are they weak? They were to find out whether there were many or few. Is it a good land or is it a bad land? Are the cities like a campground or are they like a stronghold? Is the land rich or is the land poor? And bring back some fruit, kind of a show and tell. You know what's interesting about that account? They did exactly what they were commanded to do. But I have a question. What was their response? What was their attitude? We can't do this. Those people are way too strong for us. The cities are fortified and big, and there were even giants there. We were like grasshoppers. They gave an evil report. You ever wonder how Caleb... Now think about this. This just came to me this last week. Do you ever think about how Caleb and Joshua stuck with this group of people for 40 plus years? Would you have done it? Let me just say right here that my idea of Christianity has really changed through the years. And let me say also that my ideas of faithfulness, of what it means to be a faithful Christian, have really changed through the years. You know something? Faithfulness is not determined when everything is going well in our lives. Faithfulness is not determined when everyone's on board in church. And I think Joshua and Caleb are an example to us of some two individuals who stuck it out. They should have started their own church, right? 
Can you, and, and you got to love Caleb. He says, he said, Joshua, when I was back there, I saw, I just, he said, I saw that mountain. He said, I want that mountain. Isn't that amazing? You see, faithfulness is not determined when things fit together, when things go well, when life is good. Faithfulness is determined when things go a different direction. And for the Apostle Paul, here he is, and what's his attitude? You know, I can imagine he could say, you know what, I might as well quit. What's the use? I get put in prison. Why keep on? But you don't see self-pity. You don't even see discouragement. You don't see him complaining. You don't see him withdrawing from life and ministry, which I've been tempted to do. I know what it's like to get, be at a minister's meeting and things are tough and get frustrated. I was taking minutes and I remember getting frustrated and I closed my computer and I said, I know what I'm going to do. And I got up and walked out. You probably can't believe that, but I did. I walked out. You know, sometimes it's like, I don't have to put up with this. And there's a, I'm, I'm going for plan B, whatever that is. My dad met me in the driveway. We were in leadership together. He said, are we all right with each other? <laughs> I'm just saying to us that life is real and that Christianity is more than a ticket to heaven. Christianity has to work in the nitty-gritty of life. So he says, he says, these things have happened to me. Paul said this. He said, these things have happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. Here's my question. How does God want to use the things that happen to you? How does God want to use that? To further his kingdom. To further his gospel. It's a little bit like when I was at SMBI, first year of teaching, and I'm sleeping in the what is now the bookstore. It's right off the gym. Three o'clock in the morning when I'm sound asleep, everything broke loose. I heard this tremendous noise and clatter, and I, I remember thinking, is that the rapture? Or I was like, what in the world was that? And I just froze in my bed for a little while, and I finally got the courage to go out and investigate what was going on. I looked out in the gym. Yeah, two girls. They weren't there. <laughs> but their deed was there. They wanted to wake the boys up, and they set chairs all across the gym in a domino effect. And they let it go at one end, and it just... And you can imagine the kind of noise that was. Now, I'm not sure they woke the guys up, but they sure woke me up. Adam, Paul saying, listen, he said, those things that have happened to me, he says, have had a domino effect for the kingdom of heaven. That's quite a perspective. That's a hard perspective to have, listen, 
That's a hard perspective to have when you're in the middle of not knowing what's next. I know what it's like to want to die. I know what it's like to go through periods of depression in my life. I know what it's like to be in the woods by myself in my little red-orange van and be praying desperately, God, if you could just somehow let me know that you're here, I think that I can get through this. You know what? I wouldn't wish some of those things on my worst enemy, but I wouldn't trade some of the times of God meeting with me in the depths of my struggle and depression. I say, what do you do with the things that have... What do you do with the way God's made you? What do you do with your personality? With what... Have you ever wished you were someone else? Or you ever, I used to look in the Yoder book and I would try to figure out, who's to blame? Must have been my grandfather. <laughs> And even my father is very, he's a very positive person. He didn't know what to do with me at times with the emotional and mental stress that has been a part of my life numerous times through the journey of faith. You have this fatherance of the gospel. Now how can, and you see, this is the, this is the thing. How can God use, how can God use what you're going through right now or what you have gone, how can he use that to further the gospel? What most of us would see as a catastrophe, Paul saw as an opportunity. What most of us see as failures, I have another question. What's your definition of wholeness? Does your definition of wholeness include a handicapped child? Does your definition of wholeness include struggles with depression? Think about it. We have boxes. We have categories of what is whole. You know what? When we get to heaven, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt there's going to be a lot of surprises. People that you thought were really something down here may not be what you thought they were up there. And people that were discounted down here and seen as not that valuable are going to have a place of shining in heaven. Really believe that. Talk about a vision of life. Well, you could say, well, Dave, that was the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I'm just me. Well, the Apostle Paul, that was for his day. No, it still happens today. Think of the family in our church. Mother and the children were coming to school, normal school day, stopped at the end of the lane, felt led to pray for the father and husband that God would keep him safe. They came to school, and about 10 o'clock, I got a phone call that the father had fallen. He had been electrocuted, and he fell. Where was God? Suffered a brain injury. I've never, I've never faced anything as a pastor as difficult as what this family went through. The one son had 
numerous surgeries for cancer in his leg. And I was called to their place, and he was in one chair. His twin brother was in another chair, and his mother was in another chair. I think they were all in tears. He looked up at me, and he said, Brother Dave, is Satan winning? How would you answer? Later, he was singing in the youth chorus, and after he, this was when he was a teenager, this happened when they were around 13, and I went up to him and I said, I want to answer a question. I want you to know something. Satan is not winning. Listen, the gospel is good news, and the gospel is sufficient for every circumstance and situation. We could tell of others who have been faithful. Job, Job was an example of someone, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. They found the way. And the word furtherance means to advance the cause. And it's like one step at a time, one dollar at a time, one letter or card at a time. If I could encourage you with something, it would be this. When God lays someone on your heart, a brother or sister in the church, or someone that you know is struggling, when, they, when God lays you, them on your heart, I would urge you to respond to that. Sometimes I think our dreams are intended so that God brings people to our mind. Send them a card. Send them a letter. Do something. Give them a phone call. The gospel is the gospel is advanced, one letter, one card, one encouragement, one small deed at a time. The gospel is advanced. I need to read. Should have read the passage first, but let me read. And you know what's really exciting about this is verse 6 of chapter 1. Being, this is an assurance for any of us, being confident that he which you hearing this? He which hath begun a good work in you will do what? Someone tell me. Be, that gives me, I'll tell you what. That bless, you know what? You can trust your God. He which hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He doesn't desert you halfway through in the circumstance of life. He will complete it. Verse 12, it says this, I would add that ye understood, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ, get this, my bonds in Christ are made manifest throughout the whole palace and in all their places. Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Now notice this. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, supposing to add, wait, and some of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love knowing that I am set for the defense. And he says, what then? <laughs> I just love this. He says, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is 
preached. And therein I do rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Holy Spirit. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Then he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What would change in my life if I had Paul's attitude and response, if I had his perspective? There are at least three situations, three lessons that I pull from this passage of Scripture that I'd like to encourage our hearts with tonight. Do we really believe? The, first, uh, the question before that is, do you really believe? Do you really believe that the gospel is sufficient? The good news, I'll tell you what, the good news of the gospel is absolutely incredible and amazing. The first thing I would say, the gospel perseveres through personal circumstances. The gospel perseveres through personal circumstances. For Paul, it was prisons, it was bonds, it was arrest, it was unjust accusations. For us, it might be tragedies, it might be financial setbacks, undeserved circumstances, broken relationships, hurts, misunderstandings. Can the gospel persevere through those things in your life? Paul says the gospel was having a powerful impact manifested throughout the palace and in all other places. How could this happen? Paul was in prison. What made the difference? And I would say his response to what happened, and you know that our response to what happened has the impact of expanding the power of the gospel. How many of you have been challenged by a person's response in tragedy? I know that you have. I have watched people, and you know what? It just challenges my faith to see people that are continuing to be faithful in the midst of hardship. How does God want to use your personal circumstance Perhaps the one that you only know about, no one else knows, the tough thing you are facing today, to highlight and manifest, make known the power of the gospel. Paul says, in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether it be by life or by death. What a perspective. What an attitude. I have a question. What would it take to shut the gospel down in your life? Think about that a little bit. What would it take to shut the gospel down in your life? When is the good news 
no longer good news. What circumstance in life can give you an evil report, a chip on the shoulder? You know, I don't know. My dad says he still doesn't understand or know the reasons why my two brothers were killed. Our third son got married with all the promises of marriage. They lost two boys. She could not carry full term. So they buried two sons, and then they had another son who, against all odds, lived. He was 13 inches long, weighed one pound and five ounces, and had bleeding on the brain and has cerebral palsy today. Now, since then, she, they've had two sons that were born normally. Let me ask you a question. How do you explain, how do you explain the events that happen in life from a human perspective? And perhaps you're here tonight and you watch other people living the Christian life and it just seems like things fall into place for them. And for you, it just seems like it's one struggle after another. One of the passions of my heart, God has given me a heart for people who struggle, for people who suffer, for people who go through tough times. And sometimes it's very difficult to make sense out of the events that happen to us in life. See, the onlookers, the bystanders, the interpreters, and Paul had them too, some who were supportive, some who were not. But when they observe your life, they will either determine that your faith is real, that your testimony is genuine, or that somehow the gospel isn't sufficient for what you're going through. So I say to us, the gospel, and I love the, I love the, new, the good news of the, the gospel, the gospel perseveres through personal circumstances of life. Secondly, the gospel perseveres through the impure responses of others or the insincere responses of others. Paul says some people are preaching Jesus out of envy and strife. Some are preaching him out of goodwill. Some are doing it out of contention. They're trying to provoke me. They're trying to quarrel. They're to be divisive. They try to pull your trigger or add affliction, hoping to pressure and crowd you and get back at you. And you know this. Guess what? In case you haven't found it out, not everyone's going to sing your praises. And truthfully, sometimes there are people that we expect to be supportive, and they're not. What do you do with that? 
Paul still rejoiced. Isn't that amazing? He still rejoiced. He chose to rejoice in spite of the impure, insincere responses of others. How did he do that? I wonder what you would tell me. How did Paul do that? He was just a great man, right? He was just super saint. You know what I think? I don't think Paul ever forgot the Damascus Road. I don't think he ever forgot the light from heaven. I don't think he ever forgot what the gospel had done to him. And guess what? When times got hard and things were bad, Paul had a sense of confidence in the power of the gospel. That's why I said to you earlier that my view of faithfulness has changed. You know what the Bible says? It says, he that endures to the end. Do you? <laughs> now, I'm bad off now because I'm supposed to finish my sentences. And I don't always finish. But do you know Satan's determination is to keep you out of heaven? The Bible says, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Don't you kid yourself. Satan is determined to keep every one of us here from reaching heaven someday. And don't you believe that he sets up situations for God's people? He did it with Job. God, if you let this happen, he's going to curse you to your face. My understanding is that some of the Mennonites in Ukraine, when the revolution came and they their, their farms and wives were plundered. Some of them shook their fist at God and said, if this is the way you're going to treat me, I'm finished. Listen, the gospel has the power to take us through the impure responses of others. Now, the third one gets even more difficult. The gospel perseveres through personal desires. It's like, God, did you ever think to talk to me about whether I wanted this kind of a life? Did you ever consider whether or not this is something that fits into my expectation of what it means to be a Christian? See, what about my desires? What about my goals? What about my dreams? What do you do with those things? And you know what? Again and again, we find ourselves at the place where we need to be willing to surrender even good dreams to the Creator, the one who has designed our path in life. Paul said, I'm in a tough spot. He says, I would like to depart. I could depart and be with God. That sounds like a pretty good choice to me for with where he's at. He might as well go to heaven instead of sitting in, in prison. But he said, it's more needful for you that I stay here. And he's basically saying, whatever God has for me, that is what I'm willing to commit myself to. So what is God's will for your life? What is God's plan for my life? Am I okay? If God takes me down a different course than what I would have chosen.
I think of the song, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. If everything else is stripped away, guess what? As a Christian, you have Christ, and your hope is in him. One morning I woke up a number of years ago, and I was wrestling through people, issues. Maybe you haven't done this trying to fix things. and having feelings, and the Lord brought the scripture to me in Habakkuk. I asked this question, what do you do with the all those in your life? Although the fig tree will not blossom, there's no fruit on the vine, the olive will fail, there's not a hoof in the stall. I asked this question, what do you do with the all those in your life? He goes on to say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And he says this, the Lord will make my feet like hinds feet. And he says, I will ride upon the high places of the earth. And in my struggle that morning, I felt myself lifted above, like being in an airplane, lifted above all of the circumstances and people that needed to be fixed and changed and situations that weren't right. You know, nothing had changed down here, but my perspective was different because it was from up there rather than down here. And I made a little commitment that morning. And that morning I made a commitment that I will not hold ill will or uh, resentment towards any person. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Chapter 4, Paul says... I'll close with this. He says, I have learned. Now get that. He said, this isn't automatic, right? This doesn't just happen that you come, you know what, in my own life, I've come to the place where I have accepted that my journey, a lot of it is under the cloud. My dad would say, Dave, I hate it that you live under a cloud. You know what? I really believe that God has designed my journey as including some of the tough things in life. And Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Content. You've got to be kidding me, Lester. My grandfather, <laughs> he was an interesting character, but you know what he said about that verse? He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. The Apostle Paul was never in the state of Delaware. <laughs> My grandfather lived and died there, but he didn't like Delaware, and he wasn't going to be buried there. <laughs> he said, the Apostle Paul was never in the state of Delaware. So. But you get the, you know what, people? What I want to communicate to us tonight, listen, what a treasure. What a treasure you have. When you have Christ, how many of you have seen what happens to people who have lost family members without Christ and seen the misery and turmoil? And even though we go through, we're not spared from circumstances that are hard, but guess what? 
We have Christ and we have the gospel. And I can assure you tonight, both from the scripture and from personal experience, that you can trust your life to your God. Question, will he, will he really take care of me? Can I go into mission work and know that he's going to... Can I? Yes. Your God is faithful and he takes care of his children. Will it be the way you think? <laughs> Probably not completely. But it will be good. And I just want to encourage our hearts tonight with looking at what God wants to do in the things that happen to you. Let's stand together for him. <clears throat> Father, we confess tonight there are a lot of things about life that we don't understand. There are things that are a part of our journey of faith that don't seem to make sense. Yet we take courage from the Apostle Paul and his attitude and response to difficult circumstances, to difficult responses from other people, and even from the personal desires that he had to go and be with you. Help us to be able to rest in your promises and in your presence. Help us to be able to trust you. And Lord, we do pray that in the hard times, in the difficult times, that you would give us grace and the ability to move forward one step at a time in our walk and our commitment to you. Bless each one here tonight. Thank you for them and their attentiveness. Lord, just go with them and give them strength and courage to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.